you hear the word hope, you hear the word compassion, you hear the word kindness, and they're just words. But when you see it in action, you see what hope really looks like. You see what kindness really looks like. You see what compassion really looks like. It, it changes you as a human being. Welcome to Everyday Superhumans, the podcast series serving your faith in humanity. I'm your host, Kyle. And I'm Charlie. And today, I'm having a little bit of deja vu. How about you, Charlie? Yeah, I feel like I've been here before. Well, <laughs> it'd be strange to go to this place since we're still recording during COVID, but I know what you mean. <laughs> today, we are speaking to uh, James Stacy and Becca McPherson of the Marbridge Foundation. And as you longtime listeners are very aware of, We've been to Marvage before, and that was for our Minis and Friends episode that was, I think, recorded three years ago. Mm -hmm. And Charlie and I actually had a personal visit to Marbridge to watch the miniature horses in action, bringing joy and happiness to all those around them. It was quite adorable. And so were the adorable faces at Marbridge, too. Everyone mm -hmm. was smiling and looked like they were having a great time. Yes, I'd recommend you guys go visit that episode. So you can consider this in spirit, the part two, as uh, we go back to Marbridge this time to talk to the CEO and VP of, of development. And Marbridge Foundation, for those who are not in the know, is a living community for adults with cognitive disabilities. Marbridge Foundation helps these wonderful people have a happy and fulfilling life through things like education, job training, rehabilitation. Uh, they even help them with uh, participate in things like the Special Olympics. They said they have over 100 uh, Special Olympians that live in Marbridge of the 200 or so residents that live there. Mm -hmm. And they also have a competitive equestrian team. Yep. And they changed the perception back in 1953 when it was founded. They were ahead of their time. And that continues to happen today where the residents that live there are just like Kyle and I. And yeah. they want everything that Kyle and I want in a life. And they deserve that. And Marbridge helps empower and encourage them to live their life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. They believe that everybody's human and should be treated like humans, which is a very uh, good mentality, mentality to have. We spoke to James about, or James, we spoke to James and Becca about uh, their favorite moments uh, working at Marbridge. We talked to them about how they offer uh, kind of like a big annual summit where all these uh, uh, kind of disability uh, centers leaders come over and they share ideas and they talk about like how Marbridge's stuff can help them. Uh, we also talk about, uh, like I said, the Special Olympics team and the equestrian team and how they help them get jobs elsewhere. Uh, there's something that we brought up, which is uh, some some people at Marbridge, they learn to live on their own and they uh, go and move into an apartment and have a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And people come to Marbridge in different situations that I didn't even realize about. It could be because of a accident that's happened and because of that accident, certain cognitive and intellectual things have happened and they need further help. And so some of the residents haven't always been born with these certain disabilities. It's happened to them, you know, a few years back or when they were adult or maybe when they were a child. It, everybody has their own individual story. Mm -hmm. Uh it was a very touching interview. It's as I said. It, it's uh, future Kyle's gonna have, have a hard time editing this episode because every <laughs> word that was spoken was just so meaningful. Uh, yeah. We could talk as long as the episode about how much we enjoyed the episode. So, without further ado, here's the episode, and we hope it touches you the way it touches us. So, what we usually like to begin with is what the Edition does, in this case, Marbridge Foundation, and the history of Marbridge Foundation. So would uh, either of you want to explain what Marbridge does and how long you guys have been around and what the history is? Sure. I'll start off with that, and Becca can uh, interject anytime she wants to. 
What we do at Marbridge is we teach independent living skills to adults with intellectual disabilities. And the residents that live here come from about 30 states and five different countries. So uh, it's not just local Austin folks, but from all over the world. Um, and we do that through what we call ability center training. So, and I'll get into that a little bit later when we get into that part of it. But uh, the history of Marbridge has always intrigued me. I'm just amazed at uh, how this came about. Uh, it was founded in 1953 by Ed and Marge Bridges. And Ed and Marge Bridges had a son, Jim Bridges, uh, that was delivered by a country doctor with forceps. And when he was about 14 months old, they discovered that he had uh, an intellectual disability. And of course, at that time, uh, yeah, he was told that he was retarded, uh, was the word that they used. And so uh, they... And of course, in 19, in, in the, he was born in the 40s. And so during that period of time, uh, and when they formed Marbridge in 1953, there was no legislation for someone with an intellectual disability to go to school. Uh, the thought of someone working in the community was unthought of. So what you did, if you had a child with special needs or intellectual disabilities, you kissed, during that period of time, you just kind of hid them away, you know, and mm. and didn't expose them very much to the community that you lived in and, and uh, lived your life that way. Well, Mr. and Ms. Bridges, they thought that someone with an intellectual disability, and especially as Jim got older, could learn, they could experience things, and they could achieve. And uh, Mr. Bridges started uh, to, he wanted to buy 17 acres in Westlake in Austin and got a lot of pushback uh, from, from the folks in Westlake in 1953, and he ran into uh, someone that owned 84 acres in Marbridge, at, in, in Manshack, where Marbridge is now, and they traded the property, uh, and he traded 17 acres for 84 acres. But I, that 17 acres is probably worth a zillion dollars today. But, <laughs> yeah, probably, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, so Mr. Bridges ended up with 435 acres and he leased 1500 acres and this became a working ranch and he started out with five young men and so they had a dairy farm here they uh, raised pigs they grew some crops and they ran cattle on the property and so what mr bridges thought his his initial thought was someone with intellectual disability could learn experience and achieve actually was coming true the first five young men that that lived here on this property also became some of the first volunteers for the Manshack Fire Department. And so they, their lives started to take hold and Mrs. Bridges would teach them things during the course of the day, how to read, how to write, uh, how to do their clothes, you know? And so, and, and the premise of learn, experience and achieve is something that we talk about today uh, here at Marbridge and every decision uh, that uh, Mr. and Ms. Bridges made was predicated on safety, well-being, and happiness of the residents that lived here. And so we make all our decisions today predicated on those three things right there, safety, well-being, and happiness. So they started this wonderful ranch here. And this was, you know, during that period of time, this part of, of Austin was out in the country. and There were big ranches out, the Johnson's had a big mm -hmm. ranch across the, the road here and they ran cattle on their ranch. And there were about five different ranches uh, that were in this area. And so it was that ranch life. Well, you fast forward to today, uh, where we are today, and we have uh, 209 full-time employees that are all awake staff 24 hours a day. We have 265 residents that live here. And then another unusual thing that happened Mr. Bridges knew at that time uh, there wasn't any diagnosis for autism or Asperger's or Williams syndrome or Down syndrome. If you were born with Down syndrome, you were openly called a mongoloid. If you were born with, with uh, intellectual disabilities, you were openly called an idiot during those, mm -hmm. that period of time. And the mores of, of society was very different. So you fast forward to today and Mr. Bridges, he knew that the medical field would eventually catch up uh, to 
the residents and, and, and those with intellectual disabilities. And he knew that they would start to live longer. Uh, my wife uh, had a cousin with Down syndrome that died at 21. And so, you know, the life expectancy wasn't a long period of time, but Mr. Bridges felt like that is, as the medical field caught up, people would live longer. So he opened a licensed nursing home here on our campus in uh, 1982. And for the residents that lived here, he wanted them to be able to come here and not have to go away if they aged out and have a place that that would go. So today, uh, we are only one of three licensed nursing homes in the United States that offers 18 years in their life care for adults wow. with intellectual wow. disabilities. So he was really a real visionary in this field. And I, I'm sure that he caught, you know, when, when he would tell someone what his idea was, I'm going to open up a nursing home for intellectually disabled because they're going to start to live longer and they'd go, are you crazy? You know, mm -hmm. what, what are you talking about here? So I, I look back at, at him and probably um, the, the pushback that he got from so many different people. And yet he just kept going forward. He had a belief in this population and he had a belief in their abilities and their capabilities. And, and he just, Push through it all. Um, during that period of time, he also owned Bridges uh, Furniture Store at 412 South Congress. And so that's how he made his money and, and uh, uh, helped to start this foundation uh, back in 1953. And as wow. I was saying, you fast forward to where we are today, and we've got 209 employees. We've got uh, 265 residents that live here. Uh, our capability in our nursing home is a 92 bed facility and it's dual certified for Medicaid and Medicare. It's licensed by the state of Texas. It's run by uh, a licensed administrator. And then we have two assisted large type A assisted living facilities that's licensed by the state of Texas. And, and uh, uh, we have health and human services that, that give us the license. And then we have a life safety that inspects us also annually and uh, the health department uh, inspects our kitchens. So uh, in 1953, they didn't have classes or like we do today. We kind of made a transition about 18 years ago uh, where we started our training and education program. Um, and so when you come here, it's like going to uh, a college for adults with intellectual disabilities. We're on a tri-semester. Uh, we have about 157 different training opportunities for folks that come here. Um, and you sit down and determine what your goals are and what's needed to make you uh, a little bit more independent than you are today. And so there aren't any two individuals here that have the same schedule. Everybody, it's like going to college it's and like you college. sit down yeah. with your, yeah. Uh, yeah. sit down with your counselor and create a schedule. Yeah. So wow. uh, go ahead, Charlie. Oh, no, I was just saying that it's really interesting to hear the history of Marbridge and also the history of people with intellectual disabilities. I, I don't have much exposure to that. So just hearing about what used to they, the perception of them in that time and the perception of them now is such a big difference and you all really help change that difference and to celebrate them you can really see the marriage of our history and our vision and innovation of what happened uh, we still get the stories uh, from families when they bring their loved ones on how intense bullying still is um, out in our system and that there aren't as many programs or the soccer team wouldn't allow their daughter to play. Uh, and so we have really worked hard to give people the experience that they may have never had before. We have a drama and theater department. We host a huge Christmas program every year. 
we have 10 special Olympic sports when special Olympics is running. Um, we have an equine therapy program. We have enrichment activities. We have on and on campus jobs. And so we've taken that history of what Mr. Bridges envisioned and he knew the capabilities were and made it into the campus today with such care that this is going to continue. We're not stopping. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, Kyle and, and Charlie, what's amazing is you get someone that comes into organization that has been told most of their life, no, you can't play sports. No, you can't read. No, you can't get a job. No, 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 no. And then they come into an environment where there are a group of people here that one, they don't care if you're tall or short. They don't care what color your skin is. They just want to know if you're a kind, compassionate person. And they don't judge. They don't look at your disability at all. They just look at your abilities. And then you come into an environment where everybody goes, well, sure, you can play sports. Yes, you can get a job. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you can do that. And to watch them change over a Mm -hmm. pretty short period of time to go and their self-confidence starts to grow and they they walk with their head a little higher and, and stand a little straighter and you see that happen and you go, Oh my gosh. You know I mean? It's just mm-hmm. fulfilling. I was uh, reading your website yesterday and I was looking at the uh, resident stories. There was like a story about a uh, guy who I guess effectively graduated from bridge and he now has his own apartment and his own job. That I, I forgot his name. I should have wrote it down, but it was really inspiring. Yeah. And, and there we do have, we've added that aspect to our organization also, uh, that there are a group of folks that, you know, come from Michigan and they go and they get a job in the community and, and they become independent enough to live in the community. And they go, I'm not going back to Michigan. It's too cold. <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm staying right there like, like everybody else. I'm staying right here in Austin, Texas. So, you know, this young man that you're talking about, lives in Hyde Park. He goes to Hyde Park Church. He works at Seton, Maine on 38th Street. And we uh, check on him once a week to just make sure that, uh, you know, his bills are being paid and his apartment's Mm -hmm. clean and his clothes and there's nothing expired in his refrigerator. And he'll come off of that uh, at the end of this year and he won't need our services anymore. He's welcome to come back and he socializes with his friends here. Uh, So, and we probably right now have about eight more folks that are capable of living in the community. They just mm. aren't ready to live in the community themselves. They like the socialization of their family oh, yeah. Yeah. and being here. So they're going like to college. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Kyle and I were talking about how society is against people sometimes. And it's like society needs to adapt to people and we need to celebrate people's differences instead of society saying, no, you know, we're not going to expand our beliefs because you're different because of Marbridge and other places around society evolves and changes in a positive light. I think the the greatest testimony to that is the work that our employment coordinators are doing out in the community. Uh, We have so many people that will reach out to and say, hey, we've got residents who are interested in your line of work. And and they respond with, we just don't have a system that is conducive uh, to be able to accommodate the needs. And our employment coordinators are amazing in being patient and educating and not giving up because ultimately, you know, our residents gain a lot in being employed, the self-confidence, the self-awareness, the, the skills that they're learning, but the community actually gains more. Uh, the community gains more by learning from our residents and the compassion that our residents have and the unconditional love that they don't know anything else of. Um, Mm. And so we get so many of our corporations that hire our employee or our residents that come back and say, we're so grateful that you guys um, allowed us to be able to experience this and we want to hire more and we want to be more involved. So I think that's the greatest testimony, Charlie, to what you were just talking about. We've got, we've got residents that 
have worked out in the community and ended up retiring. You know, uh, uh, one of our residents worked 22 years for Sears in, in the uh, auto department and retired from Sears. And uh, we just recently had someone retire from the airport uh, that was uh, doing the, the uh, parking uh, ticket booth. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had worked there for over 20 years and he's just retired. And so uh, we've got about close to 40 employers in the Austin area that employ our residents and just different, you know, insurance companies, McCoy Building Supply, uh, Seton System. Uh, we've got probably 14 people that work in the Seton System. So uh, in different hospitals. So there's there's been... Uh, a lot of opportunities for our, our residents to work in the community. And then we have families that go, I never dreamed that <laughs> I never dreamed that my child could work, you know, <laughs> going, okay, well, you know, they're working, some of them are working 40 hours a week and making great paychecks and, yeah. and, and contributing to society. And that's what they want to do. They want to be just like Kyle, just like Charlie, just like me, just like Becca, uh, they just want a life like we have, you know, mm-hmm. they want to have friends. They want to work. They want to pay their taxes. They want to go to movies. They want to belong to different sports teams. So mm-hmm. just live in that life. Mm-hmm. My cousin, she has Down syndrome and she actually works two jobs. Yes. Yeah. She works harder than I do. I yeah. <laughs> so other than employment opportunities, what other programs does Marbridge offer and partnerships do you guys do? I know you said the the equine team and Special Olympics. Uh, can you elaborate on those two? Well, yeah, I mean, we can expand on it. I mean, we really try to get involved in the community. Uh, uh, our equine program, they're, they're uh, involved in the Austin Rodeo, and they also are involved in the Houston Rodeo. And we also have an equine team that performs for uh, the Special Olympics that uh, uh, they've won tremendous amount of gold medals in. And so that's a very active part of uh, our organization as far as uh, getting in the community, different communities and being involved in the different associations that are out there. You know, our, our equine program is also just a regular class that you can sign up for. And so if you come to Marbridge and you look at the classes, they're not really what you might perceive them to be. Uh, if you are in the equine program, you naturally learn to ride a horse, but that's not really the purpose of the program. If it's, uh, what do you feed a horse? The importance of feeding a horse a balanced diet and the importance of you eating a balanced diet, the, uh, the importance of grooming a horse after you've ridden the horse and the importance of grooming yourself and what does that mean to to groom the horse and what does it mean to groom yourself being uh, responsible for something besides yourself the you know the horses have to be fed and they have to be fed at certain times so punctuality some of those things that you start learning about when you get into an employment class you know uh, uh, having that job and being responsible so there's just a tremendous amount of things in the equine program that are learning experiences for the individual to help them become more independent and and be able to visualize the importance of doing that for someone else and the importance of it being also relative to yourself. So mm-hmm. all our classes are kind of that way. It's, uh, you know, we have a, a drama class and for years, I think since about 1953 or 54, we put on a Christmas program for the community here. And we have about five or 600 people that come to it every year. So we have a, a drama class that puts together a Christmas program. And a lot of times the residents will write the play themselves. Uh, but the, the drama program is about punctual being, being punctual to your, your practices, um, standing up in self-esteem, standing up in front of others, uh, uh, having the right pronunciation, pronunciation of words, you know, it's just a, a massive amount of things that go into that besides having fun and producing a, a Christmas program that's a learning process for those that are in that class and in that program. You know, and then we have uh, some of our classes are uh, daily living skills, just how to brush your teeth, how to comb your hair, how do you dress, uh, 
uh, we have men's hygiene and the ladies go to, when stores were open, they'd go to Macy's and they would do makeup day and they would spend the night in our camp house and have a ladies night out and that sort of thing. Well, and our, our training and education program is based on the theory of multiple intelligences, which means flat out, everybody can learn, period. And we set out to make sure that we are matching learning opportunities with abilities. So like James just said, it's ability-centered training. And so everything is designed with the abilities of our residents in mind. Um, and that's what really sets us apart. You know, yeah, with Becca saying that, we have 18 full-time instructors. And all those instructors have been sent to Harvard's um, training program and to oh. learn under Dr. Garner, who, who came up with how to how to teach the multi intelligences, uh, it's a real learning experience. I have no spatial intelligence, so, <laughs> and I have no directional intelligence. Don't don't ask him to build it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so you know, if you want me to decorate your house, Charlie is not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> Dang it, because I'm having trouble. <laughs> I'm reaching out to other so, people. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, we, we really try to stay on uh, the latest cutting edge of teaching techniques, you know, utilizing smart boards and iPads and mm-hmm. and teaching to someone's intelligence. I mean, uh, someone really can learn by visual things, which we use smart boards mm-hmm. for. Other people learn by reading. So we try to lean to how the person's abilities are to learn and, and reach out to them that way. And uh, it, it just increases your success rate tremendously. It sounds so individualized too. That's really important, and I bet beneficial for all of the residents. Yes, I, it's it's in it's an individualized plan that we work off of, and everybody has their own plan. So if you're walking across campus and you see somebody. And you go, hey, where are you supposed to be? And then they have their schedule with them and they can pull it out and say, well, I'm heading to uh, this class or I'm heading to that class. And you go, okay, great. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, we keep track. I'm, this sounds crazy, but we keep track of everybody all day long. So mm-hmm. if Kyle's supposed to be in class at nine o'clock, but Kyle's always 15 minutes late. They just, that's the way he is. Yeah, and Kyle. Kyle's not late. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Kyle's not late until 15 minutes after class starts. And if he's not there 15 minutes after class starts, then we'll start looking for him. But, you know, we, everybody goes at a little different pace than everybody else does. So mm-hmm. we adapt to whatever the individual's pace is. And we're not sitting there going, well, you're 15 minutes late, you know, we're going, Oh, good to see you. Good to see you this morning. Good morning. And, you know, we get started at, at the individual's pace, not our pace, you know? Yeah. Oh, I wish normal school was like that. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be so much easier to like, it'd be, it'd be way better to have a custom tailored learning experience than taking all the standardized tests and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. We've, we've just seen great success in that. And, and it's on an individual level, but you're supported by a group, which is something that, you can't teach. It's nothing that there's no leadership class that will allow James and I to create that atmosphere. It has to be created by the employees we hire and the residents themselves. Um, and so it's it's strictly based on the atmosphere that's created within the Marbridge campus that can allow us to continue to do that. Um, it's nothing that we can implement. It's very natural, and and that's very. better, I think society is very structured sometimes and overly structured and i i like this much better <laughs> it well it reminds me of college too right right it's it, you know our deal is success for one person may be learning how to tie their shoes today and success for another person may be getting a job at seton hospital making 16 dollars an hour but they're both successes mm-hmm. and we celebrate both of them equally. Kind of on a random note, but like we said before we started recording, Kyle and I have been to Marbridge when we were doing another recording with Minis and Friends. And right. Yeah. And that was really 
Well, it was very adorable with miniature horses. <laughs> that <laughs> was. Let's, let's do the setting. Uh, Kyle and I got there, and it was a bunch of mini horses coming out of a van. So everybody's yeah. dreams came true. And then <laughs> we also were able to see the interaction with the residents. And everybody was so nice. And seeing their reaction was extra amazing and it reminded me of the equestrian class that you were talking about and yeah and just seeing the the expanse and the just large amount of property that marge bridge had was also really cool to see yeah i was listening to the episode on my run this morning and uh the I, I said in the episode, I think that's the happiest I've ever seen anybody in my life. I remember you went there and like seeing all the smiles from not only the residents, but also the employees as well and the volunteers that many and friends. Do you have uh, other services like that come in? We have like uh, 200 volunteers that help here at Marbridge. It's amazing. And they love being here. So you have full-time staff and volunteers? We have 209 full-time staff and we have 200 volunteers that out volunteer at Marbridge. Yeah. 200 regular really volunteers. Yeah. Um, throughout the course of the year, we'll have groups come through, one-off groups. So last year, I think we had just under 700 volunteers come through and 200 of those are regular, almost weekly, um, if not daily volunteers. So what do the volunteers do? They help with the equine program. They'll go out, you know, we'll have, we have 15 horses. And so we can have... Uh, 15 staff with each individual resident and their horse. But uh, so we have volunteers that come out and, and work with the horses and work with the residents and, and help uh, move the program along. Uh, we have special Olympics where we have softball and basketball and bocce and all the different events. And so there's volunteers uh, in all those events. And then if we, if we go, uh, away to a special Olympic regional event, then we have to have a lot of volunteers go so we can cover all the residents that are there. We have 110 special Olympians that live here. And so oh, wow. that takes a tremendous amount of and volunteers. And then we, yeah. Yes. And so, uh, and then we have mentors that come and, and uh, help teach reading and just all kind all aspects of what we do here. Volunteers are involved in at some level. And it's, it's whatever the volunteer's interest is, not, okay, well, you're going to be a volunteer, so you have to do this. You know, when we interview a volunteer, it's, you know, what are your interests? You know, do you want to, some volunteers or mentors that take some residents shopping, you know, uh, and or, or go buy groceries or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever's needed where, uh, with different individuals. Mm-hmm. So how can somebody become a volunteer? I know that's kind of strange times right now with COVID, but after this passes, how can somebody become a volunteer at Marbridge? Well, we haven't stopped. Um, our volunteers- Oh, you haven't? Okay. Yeah. Just, okay. Some places we, we've spoken to, they have, the volunteers are not as active because of everything. Well, yeah, that's great to hear. They're not, at, they're not active in the sense that they're coming on campus, but we don't stop volunteering okay. because we can't come on campus. So our mentors are doing Zoom calls. Our mentors are doing virtual bingo instead of being on site. Um, Our mentors are are doing fun activities that can be done and interacting when they're doing art. Um, So, and we've got pen pals throughout the nation. Um, We've got all these Uh different opportunities. So our volunteer coordinator is Haley Cope and she has just completely taken her current volunteer program and just transitioned it into virtual opportunities. Uh, And I think that has provided us the ability to stay uh, as a secluded campus for as long and safely as possible. You know, our, many of our residents had already experienced isolation and before Mm -hmm. they came to Marbridge, you know, there, there wasn't anybody who really wanted to be friends all the time. Uh, They didn't have a lot of opportunities to become involved. And so we don't ever want them to have to go back to that situation. So just because COVID is out there, we need to stay on campus. Uh, we're going to try to recreate many of those same opportunities here on campus. If you had an off-campus job, 
uh, now you are either working on campus or you are part of the training and education program. So you don't have idle time um, to sit oh. and, and feel sorry for yourself. Um, we're all about the empowerment. And so Haley's done an excellent job in being able to convert that. Um, so yeah, we have not stopped. We haven't we haven't cut back. Uh, we've just reevaluated and we're just using volunteers in a different way. I think our volunteers sewed over 600 masks at the beginning of COVID to be able to allow oh, our, all wow. of our employees to be masked before we were able to um, have a, a good big supply of medical masks. So mm -hmm. it's just, a, it just looks a little bit different right now. Mm -hmm. that, that's awesome. That's, I, I, I'm really excited to hear that. Yes. How is uh, Marbridge uh, responding to COVID? Uh, you mentioned the volunteers, but uh, do you have like regulations and all that stuff for, I think that on your website says that there's no visitors coming in right now. Right. On March, on March 12th, we shut our campus down. Dr. Fry, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. On our campus, campus, everybody that works in our nursing home is either licensed or certified, except for mm -hmm. um, our custodial team. And then in the other part of the campus, we have uh, what we call the ranch and the village. And both of those have a nurse's station and a full-time nurse that works there. And uh, we have a nurse practitioner that works in our nursing home that really can accommodate all the campus should they should the campus need something. But our primary goal is the, is the nursing home, the villa. And so on March 12th, we shut our campus down. No family members uh, on campus, no visitors on campus. I mean, no volunteers on campus, no visitors on campus. Uh, the vendors that come on campus like mail they drop the mail off mm -hmm. uh, outside the door of our administration building. They don't come to in in any buildings. Uh, mm -hmm. People that deliver the big water bottles, they put those outside and we distribute them to different places. So we just tested uh, all our residents in our nursing home because the governor uh, had said that that was mandatory. And mm -hmm. uh, we tested all our employees that worked in our uh, nursing home and uh, they were all negative. So yeah, we've had that's no, great. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> the employees that work here are so dedicated. The, the thing that, that I've done that makes this place so great is I've hired people a lot smarter than me. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and, and so, uh, so they just do a, a great job, but our residents are safe. That's our primary deal. Are our residents safe? That's the number one mm -hmm. thing. And so this is just a testimony to our dedication or the employee's dedication of keeping our residents safe uh, at this time. So um, I, that's kind of our COVID experience up till this minute. Yeah, it's really, it's constantly changing, it feels like. But I've also seen places have people write on windows or people that are trying to visit their loved ones like kind of be outside of the facility so that the loved one can just physically see them but not really interact with them or interact in a different way. I don't know if you all have done that, but that's been interesting to see. Our nursing home uh, is locked down and so we're really not allowing anybody on campus. Uh, in yeah. our two assisted living facilities, we have set up a tent and a family member can come by and social distance and wear a mask and uh, the resident wears a mask and they can visit with each other from a distance. In our nursing mm -hmm. home, we do a tremendous amount of Zoom all day long. Our, we have a full-time social yeah. worker that works there. So they're in touch with family on a daily basis. I mean, it's just uh, all day long of contacting family, letting them see their family, talking to them, and then making sure that we have uh, a lot of activities to keep everybody busy during the course of the day. Yeah, so we're very similar. You know, clearly our licensing um, is the one that lays out how this has to look. And because of the uh, medical vulnerability of our residents, mm -hmm. um, we will clearly be the last to open, um, mm -hmm. by far the last. And so we have made 
as many accommodations as we can while ensuring that everybody's staying safe. Um, so while we do have a, a tent right now for families to come and social distance for two of our assisted livings, um, I think the greatest asset has been the investment in the technology, being able mm -hmm. to, to use Facebook, to use Google, to use Zoom, to use as many resources as possible. Um, and we really haven't missed a beat. Yeah. The thing I've been saying, which is, it's never a good time to have a pandemic, no. but this is the best time for yes. it. If there, if there was going to be one, this is the best time. If there's going to be one in history, we could, I just feel like we couldn't be better prepared with technology to be able to. And mm -hmm. all these people reaching out and ensuring that places like ours have access to that technology. You know, um, so many of these at the start of pandemic came out and, and offered their services for free. Uh, and wow. which has helped us tremendously as a nonprofit. Um, mm -hmm. And we've taken advantage of it. Do you all work with any other nonprofits? Scott McAvoy is our executive vice president and he's over operations. And so Scott and I get to travel all over the country to look at other programs, to look at other best practices um, and uh, work with other organizations. Like there's Chapel Haven in New Haven, Connecticut, and they're working with Yale University on uh, producing outcomes for, you know, we don't give grades and classes or anything like that, but how do you measure outcomes on uh, different things? So we're working with Chapel Haven and Yale University on how to determine outcomes. Um, there's yeah. the May Foundation in Boston uh, that's really uh, innovative. You know, the Northeast has kind of been uh, above the curve on most of everything in this field for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we get the opportunity to travel all over and look at uh, other organizations and and what they're doing. Locally, you know, our residents, um, you know, are part of Big Buddies and and uh, they do the Down Syndrome Walk at Town Lake every year. And, and, and our residents volunteer for other programs uh, to help, um, you know, the with animals and, and uh, other other organizations here in Austin. So uh, not only do yeah. we try travel throughout the country, but we do a lot of things locally also. But it's never our goal to duplicate services. So if there's someone doing mm -hmm. a service that we can benefit from uh, and is offering quality services, we wanna partner with them. So, you know, we, we work with guardianship and in-home counseling with family elder care, which is in Austin. Our, our athletics, we go through um, Special Olympics. Uh, we volunteer with Community First and the, the food bank. Uh, so there's a lot of services that we wanna make sure we're not duplicating um, and take advantage of it. Now, if there's something out there that isn't meeting our needs or isn't up to our standards and, and we do need to, we'll occasionally do that. But our goal is to provide the best home for adults with cognitive intellectual disabilities and a training program. Um, and that, mm -hmm. that's our vision, that's our mission. Um, and so that's what we do. So yeah, we do partner with quite a few others. So one thing that we found as we were traveling throughout the country, we would go to New Haven, Connecticut and, and Mike, who's executive uh, director of that program would say, I'm worried about A, B, C, and D. And we'd mm -hmm. talk about that. And then we go out to Casa de Ama in California and Aaron, who's the executive director there, would say, I'm worried about A, B, C, and D. And it would be the same thing that this other person's worried about. So about seven years ago, uh, we decided that what we would do is put a symposium on here at Marbridge and invite all these executive directors uh, from across the country to come in and talk about commonalities and the things that they're worried about, aging population, uh, lack of funding, all those things that, that everybody's talking about. And it started out the first year with about 40 people. And uh, it, it's in April again this year. And so it's gotten so big that we've had to limit uh, uh, the attendance. You know, we make about the first 120 people that want to come into the organization to hear. And we have guest speakers from all over the United States. I mean, Tim Shriver and, and people from New York and the Northeast that are really kind of in tune with things. And so they, we, we try to get some really good speakers to come in to address 
issues that uh, different programs across the United States are commonly worried about. And so it's been real successful of bringing people together and, and that has helped us develop a lot of, of deep relationships with other organizations. Well, that's yeah. really nice. I, that is, yeah. Uh, maybe one of these years, whenever it starts again, we could, uh, Charlie and I could go and attend and, uh, you're see more than welcome to come. Yeah. Report on it. Love to have yeah. you. Uh, one question that I, I want to get to is, um, what are your, your favorite memory or what's your favorite parts of working with the residents at Marbridge? <laughs> oh, you just said oh, the best part oh, of our okay. whole job. <laughs> okay. So we got another hour. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> we can do an extra long episode. We'll do our first two part episode ever. <laughs> so yeah, I have to tell you, it's hilarious. Working. It's hilarious working here. So I'm walking across campus and this young man's name's Mark and he has autism. And so he wears headphones, you know, to defer noise and, so he stops me and he goes, hey, Mr. Stacy, is Jenna Kay in her office? And Jenna Kay is our director of training and education. And I could see her office from where I was standing and her car was parked in front of her office. And I said, well, Mark, her car's parked in front of her office. And he went, Mr. Stacy, I didn't ask you anything about her car. Why are you talking about her car? I just wanted to know if she was in her office. And he walked off <laughs> shaking his head like, poor Mr. Stacy. He just doesn't understand anything. <laughs> I just went, uh, you know, because autism is just really direct. It's black and white, you know, yeah. you're not going to chat it up. And so I just walked <laughs> off and went, God, another learning lesson for me. And uh, I was talking to a group of folks and that were residents, you know, and, and I'd made a mistake uh, in what I was saying. And one of the residents looked at me and said, you know, Mr. Stacy, there's only one letter difference between president and, and resident. <laughs> so, you, you know, it's it's working uh, in, in this time in our society, in our country right now, it, is, it, it just comes to the front. You hear the word hope, you hear the word compassion, you hear the word mm -hmm. kindness, and they're just words. Mm -hmm. But when you see it in action, you see what hope really looks like, you see what kindness really looks like you see what compassion really looks like it, it changes you as a human being and so you know have have i done great things here at marbridge and changed a lot of things no but have i changed over the 18 years that i've been here absolutely am i a better human being by working here absolutely and so i think that's my takeaway from being here is just, I'm telling you, the human spirit is unbelievable. And even though people have told you no your whole life, you can overcome that. And, and I see it every single day. So, you know, if you're not emotionally in charge, in, involved in working here, then something's wrong. I, I don't see how you can possibly do that. Mm -hmm. so, Becca? No, every, yeah, every day is absolutely wonderful um and i think I, I talked about this before it's really the atmosphere that's created and and that comes from every part of the organization there's a culture here that everyone from the president's position uh, throughout the entire campus uh, needs to be with the residents uh, you need to be a part of their lives uh, there's glass in all of our doors uh, and that's to allow residents to be able to be a part of, of everything. Um, board meetings, budget meetings, just hanging out, all needs to be witnessed. Um, and they have the opportunity to be a part of every aspect of this organization. And that says a lot. Um, I think one of the questions you had asked at one point is kind of what sets us apart and what do we offer residents? And mm -hmm. it's more that this is a home for them and we just have the opportunity to work here. Um, you mm -hmm. can see that from the second you step onto campus. I had no idea I was going to end up at, at Marbridge. Um, I had I worked for 12 years at a children's campus, residential campus in Waco, and I've worked for children's psychiatric hospitals, and I've worked for aging and disability services. And when Marbridge contacted me, 
it just seemed like my entire career had set me up for this. But in all actuality, nothing can set you up for Marbridge. It is life changing. You can have a million years of experience in this field and stepping onto campus is a totally different experience. I drove onto campus for my first time and there's literally a white picket fence and the horses mm -hmm. happened to be lined up. I would like to say it was for me, but I'm pretty sure it's because <laughs> the shade was on that side of the <laughs> fence, but um, it just set the tone. Um, I couldn't even get out of my car before I was being greeted by residents and mm -hmm. telling me that didn't know my name, didn't know why I was there, but they were just happy that I was there. I eat with them uh, during lunch when we're able to, and there's just never a time they don't want to check in on you and make sure you're doing okay um, when that's supposed to be our job um, mm -hmm. to, to do. So it's it's just the most amazing place. Yeah, if you come on campus, they're going to approach you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not like we do out in the community where we just barely nod at someone. You know, I had mm -hmm. a friend named Shane that worked for the University of Texas, and he was a quadriplegic. And so he said, I want to come see Marbridge. And I said, sure, come on out. And so he has a little motorized vehicle. And I mean, the residents just kind of bombarded him. And, oh, are you going to come live here? Or are you going to work here? Why are you in that chair? What yeah. happened to your legs? I mean, you, you know, they just engage you and they don't they don't have all these things about, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't ask that. I, I promise you, if you mm -hmm. and Kyle came on campus, they would ask you, are you going to work here? Where, where are you going to work? What are you doing <laughs> here? You know? yeah. And so it's it's just an engaging group of folks. And this is their home, you know, and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and we respect that. I mean, we would never walk into someone's cottage without knocking on the door and having permission. It'd be like, you know, you got a new home. You don't want to wake up tomorrow and Beck and I stand in the middle of your living room going, Hey, Charlie, how you doing? <laughs> you know? So it's, it's the same thing here. You know, you've got to, you, you've got to exude the respect that they deserve. And, and we really do that. It must be so rewarding to work at Marbridge and see the light that shines in the residents and volunteers and people that work their eyes and just reflect that in your own space and personality. Yeah. Right. And daily lives. We just take it home with us. Right. Okay, are you ready for the superhero question, Charlie? Superhero. All right. <laughs> because we're everyday superhumans, we must know and must ask this very important question. <laughs> If Marbridge was a superhero, it can be a made-up superhero, what superhero would they be and what power would they have? Well, we took this question very seriously this week, and I pulled quite a few of our residents because I felt like they would have more creativity than James and I would in coming up with <laughs> a superhero. And kind of the overwhelming response was they didn't make up a new superhero, they wanted to be a part of Team Supreme. And I didn't know much about Team Supreme, but Team Supreme is, is comprised of uh, several individuals. Uh, Dr. Jackson, who founded Team Supreme, has epilepsy. Um, he's the father of two of these superhero kids. Um, but you've got one superhero who has autism. You have one who is blind. You have one who has sickle cell. Uh, one of the superheroes has spina bifida. One of the, and then finally, one of the superheroes is uh, deaf. And so all these superheroes combined to make this amazing team. And several of our residents were fighting over which superhero they would be. And so I thought mm -hmm. that's really fitting um, to say that maybe we're not necessarily one superhero, but we definitely have a team of superheroes that come from our campus, whether that's the residents or the employees, or I think we are, I think we're team supreme. Nice. And just like superheroes, uh, all of your residents uh, seem to be very empowered yeah. with their own powers. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, we have another resident, Amy, who works with us in our administration building. And uh, she was in my office the other day and I asked her, I told her we were doing this and she was, thrilled. Uh, and I said, well, if you could, you know, summarize Marbridge as one superhero, what would it be? And uh, she said that she would be, Marbridge should be a superhero that could easily build our campuses anywhere we wanted to. And with no money, 
and be able to make it just as good as this campus with the training education and with the activities and with all the people and offer it to every person who ever needed it. And talk about bringing tears to your eyes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's James is in my dream every day is to be able to accommodate every person who has a need and be able to do that with the quality that we've built this campus on. But unfortunately, the daily parts of, you know, money and manpower mm -hmm. and all of that comes in. So for her to have that dream on her own just kind of throws all that out the window and makes us want to work harder. And that's a testament to you all, too, that a resident and someone who's working there wants to see Marbridge spread to other places. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's that's awesome. Yes. You know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't make this comment. You know, not everybody here at Marbridge was born with some kind of disability. We have a tremendous amount of our population here that, you know, Doug had a scholarship to Arkansas. His parents bought him a new truck. He was messing with his truck, ran a stop sign, got T-boned. He'll be here for the rest of his life. Uh, oh. Molly mm -hmm. and her mother got hit by an 18-wheeler. Her mother was killed instantly. It took seven hours to cut mm -hmm. her out of a car. And they said she'd never walk or talk again. And she's here and she walks and she talks. And, you know, she wants to go to work when this lets up as a file clerk with IRS. So uh, every person just like you and Kyle and Becca and myself, everybody has their own personal story. And it's the same here at Marbridge that when you get to know somebody and get to know their story, uh, it just, it, it changes your view of them and their abilities and what they can do and what they've been through. And you go, oh my Lord, I'm not sure that I could have done that myself. And you, mm. you see how brave they've been and how, uh, determined they've been to overcome what's happened to them. We've got, you know, several residents here that have been hit by drunk drivers. And we got one young lady that was uh, roller skating and hit by a car going 60 miles an hour. Mm. Uh, so, so it's, it's just, everybody has their own story. And once you learn that story and, and you just so much more appreciate them as a human being, that's just true in society. You know, I mean, know somebody and and know them as a as a person, as a human being, then there you are. You know, I mean, it, it's all solved. There's not an issue. This is a great place to come learn about how to be a, a better person, you know? Yeah. And like from our one morning there, we saw the happiness in my ridge and it was very touching to both of us. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, before we uh, end the interview, any final things you either you want to say before signing off? Um, I, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of emails on how people can continue helping us and to help us. You just have to understand that we're like any other nonprofit. Um, we have people who have been here for five years, for 30 years, for over 60 years. And some of them have outlived their resources. And right now during the COVID, um, we are, you know, experiencing some hardships and families are experiencing hardships. And so um, we're making sure that we work very hard to keep our benevolent care dollars up to make sure that we can be a home for everybody for as long as possible. And so we're asking for help to, to bring in some benevolent care dollars. We're in need of PPE. We're a very unique nonprofit. And not only do we provide education and animal therapy and housing for low income and housing for everybody, um, but uh, we, we are also doing medical. And so we're in need of PPE items, um, masks, particularly uh, KN95 and N95 masks. Um, and so pretty much if, if I was to summarize anything right now during COVID, if people could help, I think those are our two biggest opportunities uh, right now, if people are wanting to uh, reach out and have the ability. Obviously, we're also still looking for volunteers and Haley's our connection with that. Um, so if anybody wants to virtually volunteer, we are always in need of more volunteers. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we uh, we will plug all the information on the website and the uh, show notes to this episode so people can know where to go Okay. and uh, contribute at least a few dollars if they can. If they can, yeah, yeah. Or in some way, even just a letter of support, letting our residents know that 
Uh, people are still thinking about them. Uh, I think that helps a lot in social isolation. They feel like we've been mm -hmm. locked away and nobody remembers us. And so letter mm -hmm. just saying, yeah. you're valued. We remember you. Um, joke of the day, something along those lines also goes a long way. Yeah, if you want to up your joke list, you need to come here. <laughs> our residents have got some hilarious jokes. Learn more about the Marbridge Foundation. Check out marbridge.org. You can also stay in the know on social media at facebook.com slash a whole new life and follow them on Instagram at Marbridge Foundation. Are you an Austinite looking for a cause to support? Then you've come to the right place. Be sure to check out our website at everydaysuperhumans.show to learn more about the many great causes you can be a part of right here in the capital city. You can also follow us on Twitter at SuperhumansCast, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydaysuperhumans, and check out our Instagram at everydaysuperhumans. If you like what you heard today, feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and support the show by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, not every hero has to fly, so grab your cape and let's go. Be sure to check out our website at everydaysuperhumans.show to learn more about the many great causes you can be a part of right here in the capital of the world. Well, oh, the capital of the world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Hold on. laughs> <laughs> so, I know Austin was that popular, or that powerful. <laughs>